Hey y'all, it's Andrea. Today, we thought this episode was a number of other episodes. Dr. Crusher doesn't know when someone is dead, and we asked the question, would you choose the ugly reality or the beautiful fantasy? Stay tuned. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we're talking season three, episode five, entitled The Bonding, or what I like to call the episode that everyone thought was a different episode. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a better title for that. Yes. (laughs) This episode was written by Ronald D. Moore in his first writing gig at TNG, uh, first of many, uh, and directed by Weinrich Kolb. It is stardate 431-98.7. While investigating a planet once occupied by the Koinonians, Security Chief Worf and members of the Enterprise away team trigger an ancient mine. They're transported to sickbay, but Lieutenant Marla Astrid succumbs to her injuries and dies. As Captain Picard delivers the news of Marla's death to her son, Jeremy, Wesley Crusher talks with Commander Riker about how Picard had delivered the news of his father's death to his mother and himself years ago. Worf expresses his desire to make Rustai a Klingon bonding ritual with Jeremy as they are both orphans and he believes he can help the boy recover emotionally, but Jeremy blames Lieutenant Worf for his mother's death. Yeah, damn. Do you have any initial thoughts on this episode? I do. I think this is the episode for me where Troy mm. turns the corner. Oh my God, 100%. This is it. She was the most valuable member of the crew for all the right reasons. Yeah, She wasn't doing some random linguistics thing. She wasn't standing in a corner crying. She wasn't giving vague impressions. She of, wasn't hypnotizing someone. She wasn't hypnotizing someone or talking about joy and gratitude of some being, <laughs> of some space <laughs> jellies or something. Like this episode, I was like, this is Troy. This like for me was when she becomes the Troy that I know and love by the end Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. entire show where I'm like, she's totally invaluable. You can't have the show without her. You can't have the ship without her. This was her time to shine. So that was really, really lovely to see. I agree. I really agree. I think, uh, Counselor Troy does get the MVP for this episode. This is where she really starts to stand on her own two legs and really, really starts to make an impact and become invaluable on the team. I think the Enterprise crew kind of comprises of this like perfect combination of you've got an android who can access infinite amounts of information at mm-hmm. a at a heartbeat. Um and he's impervious to the types of illnesses and things that like plague mortals Mm -hmm. right so that one episode clues were like they're all knocked unconscious um Mm -hmm. data doesn't have that happen to him right so it's like even if any if everyone else is like unable to do their tasks you know data can do it Mm -hmm. and you've got wharf a warrior at heart as security so that makes sense but then Mm -hmm. the trifecta i think is really troy who you've got a person who can sense deception who can sense danger who can sense mm-hmm. a lot of things that like we cannot and that's what makes the enterprise such a strong team and the enterprise doesn't really get that strong team until this episode where troy really comes into her own mm-hmm. um absolutely originally this episode was written in a way that jeremy would delay his grief by recreating his mother on the holodeck um and it's so interesting because we have talked you and i have talked about that in w- one of mm-hmm. our escape pod episodes about like hollow ethics and delaying grief by that recreation, but they ended up going in a different direction. I actually like this direction a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I originally thought this episode was the one where the woman bonds with different crew members, but one more than others. No spoilers. Mm-hmm. But I looked it up and that episode is actually in season five and it's called The Perfect Mate. That's what I thought uh, this one okay. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I thought it was the one where the boy like mimics data and like mm-hmm. tries to become an android to like delay his own grief for whatever reason. I was like, wow, th- it's, it was none of these. <laughs> yep. I, I had this same exact mental gymnastics. I was like, oh, it's this one. Nope. Oh, it's nope. What is this episode? And again, I had this vague recollection of this episode, but I didn't really remember anything, no specifics at all. So I didn't really know what was going to happen in this episode where it was going. I mean, I, I knew it was going to be some kind of happy ending, Mm -hmm. but I kind of didn't know where it was going to go. And I don't think this episode is very memorable. Like it makes sense. It's not a bad episode. But it's also similar to last week's episode. It's not great either. Yes. It's, it's very good, interesting. It's good, not great. Yes. Yeah. It's good, not great. So it's it's not a bad episode, but it's also not like, oh my gosh, I got to rewatch this one. Yes. Or, oh, this was so fast. It wasn't that for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's just kick off this episode. Um, there's an away team on a planet and it's an archaeological dig that's being led by Worf? Question mark. Why is Worf <laughs> leading this archaeological dig? I was I concerned about that. No, I mean it makes <laughs> sense to have security because they said that the Koinonians destroyed themselves, and we don't know how or why. So mm-hmm. I guess it would make sense to have a security officer down there just to make sure that everything's safe. I guess, but yeah, it makes no sense. It just yeah, really I feel doesn't. like a sensor sweep could probably be like, "Yep, yeah, there's no life left on this planet. Y'all go ahead." <laughs> yeah, I think that's what they did do. Um, and that didn't really work out for them. So yeah, we got a lot of question marks. Why is he yeah. leading it? What's the deal? Like, yeah, if anything, it would be Picard who would lead yes. some kind of archeological yes. expedition. Although I don't know if we have seen Picard's love of archeology span yet on TNG. I think we have did we? in that code of honor episode when they were looking at like this ancient statue from oh maybe China I guess that, or something like I guess that. that. I guess that episode was just so fucking horrific and like racist that it glossed everything else got like put on the back burner. That's fair. Um, But anyway, they're on this, they're on this uh, away team and, you know, the enterprise is sort of chatting and Troy immediately senses that something terrible has happened. And I love that she kind of gets that little sense and her face kind of gets a little puzzly. Like, what am I like sensing right now? And then she's immediately like, beam them up right now. Amazing. Amazing. Totally Mm -hmm. useful. But Um, I don't understand how she did that because as soon as she says beam them up right now, because they're on the comms with Worf at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as she says beam them up right now, after she says that statement, you hear an explosion and then they beam them up. And then Picard's like, what, what, what was that? It was an explosion. Beam them up. So I was like, wait, how did Troy know? Like no one should have been sensing, like no one should have been freaking out on the planet because they didn't Mm -hmm. know that there was an explosive there until it blew up. So how was Troy aware of it before it blew up? Well, I don't get that part. Here's what, here's what I remember about this episode is that she had kind of a puzzly look on her face, which that I'm not sure about because she's reading other people's emotions and feelings. So if nobody's freaking out, she should not be picking up on that. Right. Unless maybe the aliens are freaking out. But then, oh, maybe. But then once she jumps up and says, beam them up right now, then Worf says, emergency, emergency, urgent, you know, critical injuries. Yeah, but you hear the explosion after she says, beam them out right now. Like you hear like a... Oh, okay. and then Worf's like, "Get us out of here." I wonder. I wonder if it was like those light beings that yeah, knew maybe. what was going to. I just knew? thought about that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, so we beam the team immediately to sickbay, 
And one member is dead on arrival, which is really sad. And here's something that Beverly does almost every time, and it always gets me. She has tricorders that can scan for, like, everything and ev- anything. But mm-hmm. she always does the two fingers on the neck to check the pulse. <laughs> it's like, bro, your tricorder is telling them. That tricorder is telling you that they are dead. They're, like, so dead. You don't need to check their pulse anymore. <laughs> I wonder if that was just Gates McFadden's, like, choice as an actor to be like, I'm a doctor. This is what doctors do. I don't, I really don't know. <laughs> but I'm like, Beverly, you don't need to do that. Like, your technology is like, beep, you know, like, totally flatlining. <laughs> like, you don't need to check a pulse. I don't know. I'm just saying. Also, the woman's face that. is blown up. Like, oh, you didn't notice that? I was like, what is she doing? Every time. Okay, Sharice, every time she has a death, due to an emergency she scans and then checks for pulse and goes they're dead it's like okay well wait she checks the pulse after she scans so yes. not even before okay yeah so she yeah, takes an extra step for no reason and then checks the pulse and then goes she's dead it's like she did the same thing for tasha too she's confirming with her two fingers what her super elaborate tricorder has already <laughs> told her what i totally. did notice in that scene was when Worf is talking to picard Mm-hmm. And he's like, report what happened. And he's like, well, we were walking and then something just exploded. And she took the full brunt of the entire mm-hmm. explosion because she happened to be standing right in front of it. Yeah. We didn't see it coming. We had no warning. Our scans didn't show anything uh-huh. dangerous whatsoever. As he was giving that story, I noticed how cool yes. his uniform looked. I knew you were going to say that. Having been in an explosion, they had like little like it was burned out mm-hmm. and his flesh was bleeding in those yes. little holes where there was burns and it looked all darkened i was like that looks like shrapnel hit him that's really wow exactly exactly i thought a that was beautifully done it was subtle yet there enough that you're like oh shit like he's kind of mangled and stuff okay yeah like he um, got hurt even though no one's treating him and yes, he's he, fine. He definitely got hurt in that. He definitely got hurt. Um, and also, I'm thinking from the practical standpoint of like the costume department, you have to have multiple copies of that burnt up uniform. You have to spend hours doing like the makeup and the blood and everything. I mean, it's just they did a beautiful job for a, for a very subtle Thing. You know, mm-hmm. if he was like missing an arm, then you'd be like, oh my God. But this was very subtle. He was still able to do his duty. He was able to talk normally. Mm-hmm. So they didn't even have to take all that time and effort and money to make him look a little mangled. Mm-hmm. And they did. And I appreciate the shit out of that. Yeah. When, when filming, you know, like when films and TV shows just take that extra step. And Star mm-hmm. Trek is really good at that. Mm-hmm. They're really good at that extra step. Season one, yes. we had some hiccups, but by season three, <laughs> Man, Man. Like, all these planets <laughs> that they go to are so legit. Like, not mm-hmm. at not at one single point have I questioned this doesn't look real. That just looks like a green screen. Is that someone's yep. car in the background? Like yes. none of that. It's just like <laughs> I don't I don't even question it. It's so well yes. done. And they could have just had his uniform look normal and we wouldn't have thought anything of it. Or they could have sprinkled a little dirt on his face, like how they yes. usually do in the movies. And we would have yes. like, okay, smear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one little or like or like the cut over your eyebrow with the one mm-hmm. drizzle of blood that looks mm-hmm. very cute. Like, and we would have been like, okay, whatever. But the fact that they made it look like shrapnel hit him in the chest yeah was just a really nice touch see i would like to have the costume and makeup department retroactively go back and fix that fuck up that was tasha yar's <laughs> little jam stain on her face yeah. because she got blasted with air with wind question mark yeah. <laughs> and then with had like a little wind. like lipstick stain on her cheek and it's like yeah no let's like make this 
really, yeah, no, that just looks so weird. I was like, what the F? It was so anyway, weird, yeah. it, it, they did a beautiful job there. So major props. Um, so now Picard has the very unfortunate task of informing Lieutenant Astor's 12 year old son that his mother has died. Um, and I had this thought and then Captain Picard se- like voiced my thought like a minute later, which I was like, oh, thank you. He said, you know, he made this whole speech in the turbo lift with Troy about I've questioned many, many times where we are allowed to have children mm-hmm. and families aboard the ship. We have mm-hmm. schools and teachers and all of that that goes along with childcare aboard the ship. And Troy's like, well, even if he were on Earth, it wouldn't shield him from death facing mm-hmm. facing his mother's death, even if she was here and he was there. But Picard expertly is like, yes, and this child would not be like facing the Borg in the Romulan neutral zone, mm-hmm. like all these other risks that we are putting ourselves into that like children have mm-hmm. no place there. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jean-Luc, because I really mm-hmm. needed somebody to vocalize that. Yes, we have been saying that since the first episode when they showed all the kids running panicked throughout the ship trying to find exactly. their 27 transporters or whatever to get off before <laughs> Q destroyed them. And we were like, why, why do they even have kids on this ship? This is the flagship. This is not a cruise ship. This Mm -hmm. is the first ship that goes into battle. And this just makes no sense. And I've had people tell me, especially people who've been in the military before, like, well, you know, it's family. If you're going on these deep missions for seven years at a time or nine years at a time or whatever, you don't want to be away from your family for a whole decade. But my response was, yeah, they have missions for seven years, 10 years, whatever. But the Enterprise goes back to Earth all the time. Yeah. Every time they turn, they're like, let's just go back to Earth. I don't know. Let's ask Earth. I mean, they could call (laughs) or they could just fly back to Earth. So I was like, it's not like, it's not like Voyager where they're, they're in the Delta Quadrant and they're not going to come back for 70 years. It's not like that. They can pop back in anytime. There are star bases everywhere. Mm -hmm. There are shuttles all over the place. So there's lots of room to see your loved ones and to not also endanger them with the board. Yes. So. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, well, then and, we and I think this... Troy was also right, though. You can't protect him from death. That's a yes. fact of life. So I think they were both right. And kids uh, should not be on the Enterprise. Yes, I agree. I agree with Troy and with Captain Picard that, yes, it's not going to shield Jeremy from having to face his mother's death. And he doesn't need to be at risk either. Um, so we have this really sad moment where I was a little cringy and like a little holding my breath where Picard has to inform Jeremy that his mother has died. And I think this was wonderful acting on Patrick Stewart's behalf where he was very Captain Picard, right? He was like straightforward and to the point, but he kind of softened the blow a little bit. You know, if this would have been season one Picard, he would have been like, your mother has died. I'm very sorry for your loss. Now get off my bridge, boy. Right. But like, Mm -hmm. he was so much softer. Um, And I thought that that was very appropriate. And also poor Jeremy, Mm-hmm. Having to maintain his yes sirs and no sirs, even though that's such a child thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you're really trying to do your best for someone that you want to impress, and even if it's not the appropriate situation, he still wanted to be like a brave little toaster and be like, "Thank you, mm-hmm. sir. Yes, sir." And that to me, like, really, really tugged at my heartstrings. It made me really mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, it, it was. I'm thinking back. This is a little bit before this, where um, Wesley's on the bridge with Riker and talking about how Picard had to do that for him and yeah. his kind of reactions to, to all of that. And Riker was like, well, I think, no, I think Wesley said they prepare us for all kinds of things, but for something like this, 
Mm-hmm. You're, just, you're just never prepared. This mm-hmm. is something that you can say until you're blue in the face, but once you experience it, it's a whole different story. And it's kind of like, I mean, this is true anytime somebody suddenly passes away, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like when, when people, when you see stuff on the news and you just assume it could never happen to you because yes. it's on the news, it's on TV. It's, yes. it's fake for the way our brains work. It's fake because it's on TV, even though it's the news. So it's real. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then when it happens to you, you're just like, so shocked. Right. So it's like, you were yeah. prepared knowing it was possible, but not really prepared. Cause when it happened, you were shocked. You, you never mm-hmm. saw it coming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just so heartbreaking for little Jeremy to say, I'm alone now in the world because his father had already passed away. And the only living relatives he has is an uncle back on earth, which I guess now have to take him in or he has to go live with it. I'm not really sure. They didn't give us any resolution on that. Unfortunately. It's assu- I mean, it's assumed that he goes back to earth, I think, but yeah, it's like, n- now you've got this whole horrible situation you have to deal with and it's affecting the crew as well and they're all sort of over this episode taking turns discussing death and the meaning of losing someone you care about and why do we ask you know data was like why do we ask how well you knew someone why does that affect the mm-hmm. level of grief that you should experience and stuff mm-hmm. um yeah so there's sort of and a- i really love riker's response to that too because because data was like, why do people keep asking that? Everyone keeps asking, how well do you know them? How well do you know them? Does that have some bearing on death? How well you mm-hmm. knew the person? And Riker explains like, yes, when you have more familiarity, you feel the loss more deeply. That's mm-hmm. why he's explained to data. That's why you're, you think about Yar a lot more than you're going to think about this person who you yes. barely even know. Yeah. Um, and then data says, but wouldn't it make more sense to feel the same amount of loss, regardless of whose life was lost? And Riker was like, you know, if that was true, I think the world's history would be a lot less bloody because it would. If we felt the lo- the loss of an quote unquote enemy's life mm-hmm. as strongly as we did as a loved one's life, war would be a different thing. It'd be oh, a totally 100%. different thing. 100%. Yeah. As if we, if we felt the loss of any life mm-hmm. as keenly as we feel the loss of like a parent or a spouse, then yeah, we, we would take life. Uh, we wouldn't take it for granted as much. And that is, that's very poignant and, and sad and true. Um, mm-hmm. And very then we, well said. Yes. I thought that was one of the few times that Riker can be very eloquent because eloquence tends to be Picard's mm-hmm. milieu for, for lack of a better term. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely like nice to see Riker being a, a little introspective. Um, Worf and Troy are talking in the computer access room. It's the same computer access room from evolution when we had the nanites. Um, and it's the last time we ever see the computer access room in TNG. And I thought, what a waste of a set. Uh Mm Uh-huh. And I was like, what a waste of a set because it's such a cool, like room with all these panels and electronic doodads. Like it was really, really neat. Um, but Worf is really taking Lieutenant Esther's loss very personally because this is a very Worf thing, but also a very Starfleet thing he was in command of the away team, like when she died. So he feels Mm -hmm. personally responsible for her death. Um, And he wants to offer the Klingon Rustai, a bonding ceremony for orphans uh, to Jeremy and war for minds, Troy. Like I am also an orphan and it helped me and I want to offer it to Jeremy and Troy and him sort of start getting into it a little bit where he's like, I want to do this. And she's like, well, he's not ready yet. Like he mm-hmm. literally just found out this fucking morning that his mom mm-hmm. died. Like mm-hmm. said, let's wait a couple of weeks. And then yeah, he's not ready for died. a replacement yet. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
this is something that like blew my mind. It cuts to Jeremy who's watching like home videos of his mom and dad. And I'm thinking who left this child alone on the day he received this horrible news. Just let th- th- you and your mom's quarters, I guess are just your quarters now. Uh, I mean, where was he supposed to be though? With Troy? I don't know, but I mean, he's a 12 year old boy. Who's... I know, but he just got the news like that day of his mom dying. And they're like, all right, we'll check on you in, in a couple hours. Bye. It's like, Wait a minute, though. Like, shouldn't he be in the care of some? Shouldn't there be someone aboard the ship who's in cha- in charge of like round the clock child care or something? I don't think they have round the clock tra- child care. They have schools. They have nurseries. They have. Well, they need to <laughs> <laughs> because you've got parents going into battle, parents going onto away teams in the middle yeah. of the night. God knows what. I think they just hang like, out in their quarters I, and hang out I with their like- friends. I guess maybe I feel like they just need like a, we just need like one nanny aboard the Enterprise who just kind of yeah. checks I mean, in I on think the kids. kids pretty much have free reign on the ship as long as they're not getting into trouble. I'm thinking back to season one when um when Wesley was playing in the holodeck and they were doing snowball fighting. And do you remember they accidentally hit oh, like yeah. Picard in the face and then he got disease or some, something like that. Another virus. Episode. That's right. But I think it was kids, another virus. I think the kids just have free reign on the ship when they're not in school and stuff like that. And. I think for the most part, that's fine. They don't really get into any trouble. There's not really a way they can get hurt. Like on the ship, mm. there's, I mean, the worst they could do is go in the holodeck, but only if probably a grown up allows them to. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, there just was no place for him to be and no one for him to be with. And that was what made it all the more sad. But as he's sitting there, he's looking over old videos and smiling. He's like actually grieving in a really healthy way. Yeah. At this point. You know, I think it's a lot better than trying to go to the holodeck and like interact with your mom um, mm-hmm. because you can't cope with the loss. It's like he's kind of doing that, but he's doing, I think, the healthier version, which is replaying old memories instead of trying mm-hmm. to create new ones with a fake mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because yeah, that loss is profound for this poor kid. Um, all right. So <laughs> Worf shows up to his quarters and he's just over here pushing his interpretation of death onto a 12 year old boy who just lost his mom. And he's like, death is this and death is that. And I'm offering you the roost eye. And I was like, Worf, can you like back off for like, I don't know, three days and just let this boy like, just let the shock of it all just yeah. kind of sink in. I thought that was Worf's, I feel like Worf's intensity in this episode was like a reflection of how guilty he felt and like mm-hmm. maybe angry at himself for mm-hmm. which is totally not his fault it was just a crazy accident that this woman was and i was thinking that too i was wondering do klingons even have survivor guilt survivor's guilt because they think dying in battle is so glorious so yeah that's would true. they even experience that but it definitely seemed like Worf had a ton of guilt so maybe it's his earth upbringing that instilled that he should feel guilty because yeah. i feel like klingons would not feel guilty if someone i mean they might feel regretful that they didn't die along with them yeah but they wouldn't feel guilty that someone died while they were doing their duties because that's like a really honorable death. So I was like, Hmm, that's kind of interesting. And he was very angry because he couldn't avenge Lieutenant Astor because she yeah, was killed by a yeah. bomb from people who don't even exist anymore. So he was just like, there's nothing he could do with the feelings. He was, he was feeling angry. He was feeling guilty. And again, as a Klingon, like for the other Klingons who were raised on their home planet, mm-hmm. they probably would also feel that kind of like impotence. Like I can't go and, and have any revenge. But they, I don't think they would also feel that guilt of like, it's my fault that they died. I think that was a human um, influence on him. 
I, I could definitely see that. And I think you're right because dying in battle is their like highest honor. So, well, although she wasn't killed in battle though, it was just an accident, but still it's like dying in the line of duty. Yeah. Dying on duty is, is definitely, and he, and he even mentioned, it's like, that is the highest compliment. Um, yeah. I, I feel like there's gotta be some survivor's guilt just because he, fe- he could feel like it should have been me. Mm-hmm. But not necessarily it should have been me that had this accident. It should have been me that died on in line of duty. And like I failed mm. her. I don't know. Who knows? Um, this episode does feature Wesley a good amount um, because he is the only other minor aboard that we know of who's lost a parent in the line of duty. And um, had Picard specifically come and tell him. Like it's exactly. very parallel. Exactly. Exactly. Um so I thought that that was kind of nice that like Wesley is sort of woven lightly throughout the episode. It's not a very Wesley heavy episode, but he's featured. And I, and I like that because it's an appropriate place to put him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be in on the senior bridge meeting. He doesn't need to be at the helm doing whatever the fuck, right? Like this is the appropriate place for him mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, here is like MVP moment where Troy is starting to sense some, some disturbance aboard the ship. And I just wrote in my notes, how valuable is she now? Like season three, Troy is indispensable mm-hmm. and I fucking love it. Like mm-hmm. nobody else and sensors cannot pick up like this energy being or whatever is like bouncing around the ship. And mm-hmm. I love that she can pick that up. Um, and really things kind of kick into high gear when Jeremy's watching these home videos and then his mother appears in the room. So creepy dressed in the same way as she's dressed in the home movies. And like, saying the oh, same phrase in the same way yeah, as it was the movie. I see you. Yeah, I was like, Ugh. creepy, so <laughs> creepy. If you were just told your parent had died, and then you're trying to process it, and you're trying to grieve, and then your parent just pops up behind you, smiling and acting like everything's okay. I don't even know how I react. My first thought is I would freak the f out. Like I would. I mean, what do you? How do you even respond to that? And that's me as an adult right now. I would freak out. When I was 12, I'd be very confused, very creeped out, very upset, very surprised, very happy, very like so many emotions. Yes. And it's just like, wow, alien, you didn't really think this through. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, you're you don't just popping back up on this kid. Yes. I mean, it's good. Lord, talk about needing some therapy later in life because or even immediately because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're watching home videos in order to be able to sort of allow the news of your mother's death like yesterday or whatever Mm -hmm. timeline we're in now um sink in and just starting to kind of process this and then your mother shows up and these whatever this creature is that like Mm -hmm. takes the form of the mother should at the very least understand you don't do that to something like that's supernatural like the child is not going to blindly accept and be like oh hey mom you know it's it's like Mm -hmm. what the fuck what is going on weird it's like they understand something because they've looked at the home videos and they can recreate it and they feel really guilty that another that another life has been taken based off of this war Mm -hmm. that never should have even happened yep so it's their not survivor's guilt but they're just like feeling like it was their fault somehow that they created this fiction in the first place. So they're trying to help. They really do have good intentions. Mm -hmm. They understand enough to recreate the mom specifically. They understand enough to replicate her personality and her smile and the way that she touches his arm and all that just from the home video and maybe from memories they can access inside of Jeremy. But they Mm -hmm. don't understand enough to know that having a ghost mom reappear is terrifying and confusing and terrible. 
Like, so they like, they get it and they don't get it. Yes. And at first Jeremy is very standoffish, which is completely understandable. Yeah. Mom, they said you were dead. (laughs) Oh no, it was a mistake. I'm fine. It's like, well, uh, why are you dressed like you were five years ago in the video I was just watching? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what? We're going to um, go live on the planet now. And yes. why are we moving to the planet now? I have some questions. Oh, just oh. trust me. We'll be yeah. happy. Exactly. It's like, wait a second. Thankfully, Worf comes back to visit Jeremy and pressure him into doing the roast eye <laughs> and, <laughs> and sees the imposter Lieutenant Astor, which I think gave me as a viewer a lot of relief because when some shady shit is going on, sometimes it is like 35 minutes before the rest of the crew is clued in. Mm -hmm. But this was like, she was there for two minutes and Worf happened to swing by and immediately clued Picard in Mm -hmm. that like, there's some imposter aboard, you know, Um, and Picard thankfully acts with discretion, which is a smart move. He's not like blast her, you know, or whatever. <laughs> which is what, which is what season one Worf would have done. Yeah. Imposter, just, shoot her. Like just yeah, murder her phasers, right in front of her son. Phasers mm-hmm. firing, which wouldn't have done anything one and probably nope. blown a hole in the window and sucked yep. everybody out into space and died. Mm-hmm. And that would have been that. Um, but as they're, as they're kind of using this discretion and giving Jeremy and the f- fake Lieutenant Astor some space, um, she ends up actually disappearing. Cause you know, tr- uh, Worf eventually as they get onto the transporter pad, like kind of snatches them away. And, the lieutenant asked her look-alike yeah, disappears. Yeah, the ghost mom. Mm-hmm. Ghost, there we go. Ghost mom goes away. And as Tor walks him back to his quarters, the being has recreated their home from the old movies on Earth. Right? So it's like you go into your quarters and bam, you're on Earth in your house mm-hmm. and your old cat who's been dead for 10 years mm-hmm. is alive. And it's like, wow, this is getting deeper and deeper. And also as a 12-year-old, it should be like, ooh. What? <laughs> the cat's been right, dead. But as a 12-year-old who's in complete grief, who was just yeah. watching this happy memory, and yeah. now this memory is real. And everything, I mean, the way these beings create stuff, this is way better than the holodeck. Like they create yes. real matter. Even the matter has personality for crying out loud. This yeah. is amazing technology. So he's like, This is my cat. Like the cat's responding to me the way it's not just a cat, it's not just a mm-hmm. cat that looks like my cat. This is exactly my cat as I remember it. So why would he want to leave? And I and I love this conversation they're having later where Beverly's just like, who would say no to that? Having your mm-hmm. loved ones back from the dead, who could say no to that? Mm-hmm. And I was actually going to ask you the same question, Andrea, as I was watching before Beverly asked that question, I put that in my notes. Like, would I pick the nice fantasy or the ugly reality? I think right now I've picked the reality. I don't know how long it would take me to pick the reality, but mm-hmm. as a 12 year old. Oh yeah. Why yeah. would I ever pick that? Would I even consider picking the reality? why as a 12 year old i don't think so there would be no i wouldn't have that long-term view of like this is not real Mm -hmm. like i wouldn't have that i would be like yay mom's back yeah well i i don't even think that it's like as a 12 year old i for me my dad passed away fairly suddenly when i was 19 um so even as a 19 year old i would have picked the fantasy for a while to like have my dad live again um and I'm 38 now. And if something very suddenly happened to my husband who passed, I would absolutely take the fake Brian. But I equate that kind of thing a little bit like, and it's not remotely the same, but the, the closest analogy I could come up with is, you know, you and your ex have decided to split for whatever reason, and you've decided to try to stay friends. So you start hanging out with them, quote unquote, as friends, but it's like a little too soon and you still have feelings for them. So while you're hanging out with them, it feels great. But then when you like go home for the evening, 
the sadness is even greater Mm -hmm. because you haven't had time to like grieve that Mm -hmm. the loss of that relationship and move on. Um, and I've been in that position and it just prolongs your like grief Mm -hmm. period. Um, because like, you know, it's not real, but in the moment it feels so real that you're willing to just be like, this is great. I'm totally okay with this. Yeah. You don't want to give it up. I, I was 10 when my dad passed away suddenly and I would 100% have chosen the fake without a thought. And I Mm -hmm. would have chosen it forever. You would have to pry me out of Mm -hmm. that planet. I mean, I don't know how many years it would take for me to be like, wait a minute, this Mm -hmm. is not good for me, but I would have lived in that fantasy for quite a while now in my thirties. Um, like I wouldn't make that choice because I've had all this time to kind of grieve and process and stuff. I would want to make that choice. I would very mm-hmm. much want to make it. And I know that it would cause me so much more pain yeah. than pleasure. Me seeing the fake person mm-hmm. would just cause me so much more pain because even as I'm pretending, I would know they're fake and that yeah. would just make it worse. It would just make it so much worse. And I would have a lot of animosity towards yeah. myself and them and the world. And it's unfair and all of this stuff. Um, well, so yeah, I, as a kid, I, I would, I would do it without a thought. And as an adult, I would probably think about it and not do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, what's the word I'm thinking? Oh, denial. Mm -hmm. Denial is a hell of a drug. I tell you it's, it is something that you can, the human mind is so fascinating to me. You can absolutely make yourself believe something that you know is not true because you just want it to be true. So for Jeremy, it's like, fuck yeah, my mom is back. I've got spot the cat back or whatever pumpkin or paws or whatever socks or something his name was okay like oh spot is data's cat but it anyway. is data's cat yeah. yes. but whatever he's got patches i think his name yes, is whatever patches, there you go i was like socks or something <laughs> <laughs> so the, the cat was obviously not the most important part for me in the episode but <laughs> but you've got like your mom back you've got patches back you've got the house back you don't need to live in this world of pain so absolutely i would go along with it um and however whole thing of like no, this isn't real. I'd be like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have any I of would that. Do, I would do the slashing convincing. hand across the like neck motion where it's like, ah, 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 I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, what the energy beams did not count on was the fucking rock star engineer that is Jordy, who was able to configure the like shields and harmonic mm-hmm. resonators to sever the energy beam that's coming from the planet onto the ship. Cause they were able to detect there's some sort of energy beam. We can't mm-hmm. tell where it's coming from, but it's, it's kind of from all over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's able to sever that energy beam. And when he succeeds, the illusion drops instantly. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad because poor Jeremy's like, Oh, Right. Yeah, it all gets snatched away again instantly this poor child and then the energy beam is like oh yeah and then hits the ship with an even more massive energy pulls and like knocks out a couple of like really shitty security guards who were like pointing phasers at a light beam <laughs> what are you gonna do with that <laughs> yeah this this uh and you see chief o'brien like capture the light beam close the doors really didn't it just come straight through the hole of the ship yeah yeah so do you think this door this sliding door by the way it's going to be strong yeah. enough to what keep up really... the light beam when the shield and the entire ship couldn't. What I... he really needed was like a mason jar and a lid to like capture it like a lightning <laughs> bug. <laughs> That's what he needed. He's like, I don't have a jar. I don't have a jar or a bucket so, well, or anything. A box. We'll just put the box <laughs> over the light beam and we'll be able to get out. And then it was like bouncing around in, in transporter room three, trying to figure out the controls and whatnot. And people are like, seal off transporter room three. Okay, first of all, 
this light beam just came into the ship through the shield, through the, from the hull, planet. Yeah. The, from the effing planet with no ship whatsoever. So I think it can penetrate anything you got. Furthermore, <laughs> you have 27 transporter rooms. Who cares if you shut down the power in transporter room three? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you act like that's their only option. And third of all, these beings could probably just zap Jeremy off the planet all by themselves if they really yeah. wanted to. They're just trying to use the technology to keep him safe, but they probably could do it without this. Yeah, they so, could probably like, just create a cocoon of energy and just warp him right to the planet. So I'm not even sure of the point of the security guard standing outside besides to just track where the light beam goes. Yeah, they, they're like, it, left. it went there. Yeah. <laughs> order, there it goes. <laughs> well, here's, we finally have like our crescendo of the episode where Picard finally comes in to meet fake mom Mm -hmm. and she reveals that the koinonians wipe themselves out with wars and the remaining beings are made of pure energy so they were you know humanoidy life forms made of matter and then these ones made of energy and what they basically explain is it's kind of like the arsenal of freedom where this planet Mm -hmm. got wiped out by your own creation even though like they did it to each other instead of you know uh, animatronic Mm -hmm. little like pantyhose containers zapping you to death <laughs> that's a great sentence right there animatronic pantyhose containers our next t-shirt, right there, there we go <laughs> so they essentially have said because of all this war and death and destruction we completely eschew like violence and death and they feel so guilty that this leftover mine from this centuries-old war went off and killed lieutenant astor that they don't want they feel guilty for her death, mm-hmm. and they don't want Jeremy to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and c- the captain has Wesley come and talk to Jeremy about his experience, which is really nice. And Wesley's like, yeah, for a long time, I was really mad at you, Picard, because you were the one who led the away team. Like, it essentially, like, should have been you and not him. You know, and um, Jeremy has that same feeling of anger towards Worf. Um, it should have been you and not her. And the energy being argues that Jeremy will want for nothing. He'll have school and friends and all this stuff. And I love that Troy is like, you cannot shield him from pain. Like pain and joy is part of the human experience. And none of those friends will be real. What about a wife or children Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. any of this? Like he'll just be living in like a mirage forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But still better than the Royale. Ugh, endlessly better than the Royale. And then once the energy being kind of realizes that Germany will be taken, Jeremy will be taken care of. It leaves for good. Um, and I thought that it was a very like altruistic intention mm-hmm. for like a, a race of aliens that are suffering because of like this accidental consequence. And I thought that was yeah. actually like really, really sweet reason to want to like make him happy. And they really didn't understand. They, they were being more hostile to try to take Jeremy because they were trying to erase the past. They were trying to fix the mistake of what they'd done. And Picard explains to them, we are finite. We are mortal. We will die. This is how we function. We have to process grief. We have to process life and death because this is part of our experience. And these beings seem like maybe they are mortal or I don't know, but they have all these crazy powers that we don't. And it's like, he has explained to the beings what life as us is like And I really appreciate that they, like, they were just like, we are trying to help him be happy. Why are you against this? Why are you guys against this? Why are you fighting us? We're trying to do the right thing here. And just as you put it, once, once ghost mime understood, Jeremy is in the right spot and this pain is important. 
and he does have to go through this. This is part of it and you can't fix it and you can't make Mm -hmm. it better. And even if he went to live with you, that would only last as a bandaid for a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. And then it would be a lot worse for her to go. Okay. Well, there's, we can't really fix this situation. And then for her to leave. And it's just like, poor Jeremy. I mean, mom's here. Mom's gone. Mom's here. Mom's gone. Mom's here. Mom's gone. Like, and it's like ghost mom that's like appearing and disappearing. So this poor kid is like, mom, mom, you know, like it's just terrifying and sad. And, and one of the, one of the sort of universally understood truths about the way that we exist is that the natural order of things is that parents die before the children for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, if all goes sort of quote unquote, according to plan. Right. So Jeremy is going to have to grieve the loss of his parents at some point mm-hmm. and that he's getting to do it at a very young age can be, is very, very sad because he's not equipped with all the tools to grieve, but also mm-hmm. at the same time, he's sort of spared from that grief, like later on, you know, so it's, it's a give and take. And really but he, there's no good time to lose a loved one. No, there's, there's no point ever. where you're like, uh, now would be good. Like yes. if it's someone you really love and care about, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. It doesn't yes. matter how many other people or things you've lost. It's never a good time. No, so really morning at 12 and morning at 72 is going to be very similar. Yeah. Like, it's morning. Never, yeah. It's morning. You're, you're not going to want to let them go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the episode ends with Worf and Jeremy doing the Rusty ceremony to bond their families, which was very sweet. Um, and then I did read that Jeremy, Jeremy's character was picked up in some fanfics and he goes and, and like has a very close relationship with the Roshenkos who adopted Worf um, back on earth and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of neat. So he does go back to earth in the fanfics and like spends time with the Roshenkos and like is in contact with Worf a bunch and blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of cool. That's kind of, Oh, well, I love that closure. Cause the last thing of my notes was we never see this kid again. I need some closure. <laughs> so I appreciate that. You didn't even Yay. know that was the last line on my notes. I, I did like, not at all. We have this beautiful ceremony. And then, you know, the kid's smiling at him and he's like, we're brothers now. You know, you now have family. You don't have to feel like you don't have anybody. And then it's just like, do, 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 do. Yeah. You're just like, what, what? <laughs> the kid's not, we never see this kid again. Never again. <laughs> so your brother is gone by the next episode. Yes. So I appreciate Thank you that fans for writing some fanfic and Thanks, giving fans. us a little bit of clue. You know, I actually do really love characters like this who are, are not central in any way to any kind of you know, main story, mm-hmm. you know, he shows up for one episode and then disappears. That gives you some freedom to write some great fanfics about where this character went. Cause if you write mm-hmm. fanfics about Worf, there's a million fanfics about Worf. So there's lots and lots of people be like, well, no, that can't be accurate because at this year he was on Tau Sigma Omicron or whatever mm-hmm. for this. It's like, I don't know, just put him wherever we want. Like that's actually mm-hmm. really nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we wrap, Sharice, do you have any final thoughts on this episode? Um, this episode again, like I said at the beginning, it was good. I think it handled the topic of grief really well. I think it was beautifully mm-hmm. written. I think all this, not speeches, but conversations people had were really worthy conversations. The one between Wesley and his mom, and where she starts tearing up and all of that stuff. And you know, he asked, "Do you ever yeah. think about dad?" And I know with with my father passing away when I was really little, my mom never talks about him ever. So really, oh wow, no, never because it's just so painful. Um, the way that it was so sudden and everything. So like, I could really, really relate to both Wesley and Jeremy mm-hmm. very well in this episode. There was definitely some tears as I was watching. I think it was really well done. And, and I feel like just as last week's episode was like the do-over for justice, which was trash. I feel mm-hmm. like this episode was the do-over for Tasha Yar's death. 
which was trash mm. because we do have a sudden death early in the yes. episode, but it's handled so beautifully and grief is described so like cleanly mm-hmm. and you see everybody's reaction to it. And it's just like a very sensible storyline and plot and alien culture. And I feel like this is the do-over for that trash episode. I actually think that that, that tracks nicely for me. I mean, it eloquently delves into what grief is for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have those who are experienced in grief and inexperienced, like Jeremy is fairly inexperienced in grief, even though he's lost his father already. Data is very inexperienced in grief and wanting to know more. You're right. This is a nice do-over for um, Skin of Evil. Um, and with way better damage makeup <laughs> than Tasha's. Um, all yes. right. Well, Sharice, I love breaking these down with you. Next week, we're breaking down season three, episode six, entitled Booby Trap. Thanks so much for geeking out with me. I love it so much. Yes. And let's do it again next week. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.